Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV, and we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera. I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My guest today is Mr. Rex Piano. He's a director, producer. He's uh, been here three times before. If this is your first time listening to Rex, pay attention. Listen up. The guy knows his stuff. And you can go back and listen to the other three interviews anytime in your leisure, 24-7, because they're all archived and stored and available at rexsykes.com. That's the official URL for Rex Sykes Movie Beat. It's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. And there at the interviews blog, you can listen live or archive to all of these interviews. Also, the chat room is now open if you're listening live. If you're, archi- if you're listening to an archive show, obviously that's not available to you. Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you. That's why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. And so all we ask of you in return is to reach out and invite other people to listen live or archived with you and or on their own, and to spread the website and these interviews, my guests, near and far, wherever you can, to your friends, uh, your family, your industry connections and contacts, and to strangers. Tweet about it, Facebook it, use your favorite social means, email, phone, whatever, but spread the word. And also, please do leave comments at the player. You know, you're listening to these absolutely free. You're benefiting from the valuable information, as I do. I benefit, too, by listening to my guests. And, uh, and so leave comments. You talk about what you liked, what you didn't like, you know, what you learned, you know, how great it was, that kind of thing. Uh, leave a comment, and uh, right there at the player, you can do that on Twitter or during the show or before. Him, so he's going to be calling back in. Let me tell you about my upcoming guests uh, because uh, I've got many. And here's just a few of them. Uh, we have um, uh, Frank Canna is going to be coming back and uh, join us at some point. Uh, Peter Marshall is coming back to us on the 7th. Uh, Jason Brubaker is a producer and an author, and uh, we've been talking about crowdfunding and video on demand and distribution and marketing strategies. He's returning on the 6th. Uh, we've got Patrick Girardi coming up. He's a sound is, is designer and uh, post-production. And David Winning, the director, a uh, very prolific director, is going to join us as well. And um, it looks like Rex has returned. Are you there, sir? Yeah, I'm back here. I don't know what happened. I don't know. That's uh, the uh, era of modern technology. All right, Rex, so uh, welcome today. Well, thank you, and hopefully I won't uh, disappear again. 
<laughs> Lisa, I hope so. Hope you're here. Um, so uh, well, the last time we talked, we were talking about um, uh, camera, and, and throughout the throughout our discussions, the previous three discussions, we've talked about you know how the director gets the director's vision up on the screen, you know, from pre-production and working with the different departments, uh, and we've done a lot with uh, camera and lens selection. And, uh, and certain uh, um, cinematography, I don't want to call them tricks, but, but tips and, and tricks that, that people can use in working with the cinematographers. And today, you know, you and I were talking and, and thought we would talk about, uh, you know, how lighting uh, defines your character and, and potentially within the show, too, perhaps we can get to it today, and locations and how they define character. Because you, you brought up so many great points about, you know, uh, Character, you know, what kind of clothes they're wearing, you know, what, where where do they stay? It, well, you know what? Let's let's do this. Let's start off with the location, because you said okay. you, that there was a story that you, you know uh, that uh, about picking a location to help define the character. Right. Well, basically, you know, when you read the script, it'll say what kind of a location it is. Is it a house? Does it have a swimming pool? Does it have a scary basement? Sometimes you can find all of that at one place. Sometimes you can't. Um, Depending on the movie, the type of home the character lives in says a lot about them, also how it's furnished, etc. I mean, if if you look at Basic Instinct, for instance, that gorgeous ultra-modern house up in Seattle, I think it was, well, that was really sexy, just like um, the Sharon Stone character. If she'd lived in a split-level ranch or something it would have said something completely different about her character. So you almost have to approach locations as if they are a character in the movie because they definitely do define or help define your protagonist, your antagonist, the different people in the in the movie. Um, I was doing this movie called Cave-In about a, a coal mining disaster that takes place in West Virginia. So, of course, we shot it in New Zealand. And, uh, (laughs) you know, trying to find an American-style farmhouse in New Zealand isn't the easiest thing. But we did find it eventually. However, it didn't have... There was a scene in the movie where the father and son are arguing, and the writer wrote it beautifully. They were arguing... And the mother is eavesdropping, listening in. And you, meanwhile, it, it alluded to prior to that, you know, seeing pictures of the family and everything. And then you hear the father and the son yelling. Well, I decided to swap it around a bit, and I wanted to see the father and son arguing. And then as they argue, the camera dollies back through a hallway, and there's a credenza with all of the family photos on it. And then it ends at a doorway, and the camera booms up a bit, and you see that the mom has been there listening the whole time. So my location guy couldn't find that house at all. We were into the movie probably, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks shooting. And he finally calls me. I'm on the set, and he goes, Rex, we've got to go look at this house during your lunch break. I think it's going to be perfect. So we went. I just had to walk in the door. I saw the hallway, I saw the back room, and I saw the front door, or the door where the mom could be listening, which was a room, like an ante room. 
And I said, fine, we got it. He goes, you haven't even looked at the rest of the house. I said, I don't need to. This will work for the shot that I want because it conveyed so much information in just one shot. And then I ended up shooting other scenes there because I didn't have the luxury to move around, but some of the other scenes I could change their setting, etc., to take advantage of this location because it allowed me to get one of the most important shots in the movie. Um, I did another picture a couple of years ago called The Fall of Hyperion, uh-huh. which was um, meteors or satellites falling on Los Angeles and setting everything on fire, a, disa- a disaster-tainment movie, as they call them. And cool. we had to create something that was like Camp David, where the president would stay. So in Los Angeles, there's a closed-down boys' reformatory that when I went and scouted the location, it had the warden's house, which was this beautiful Tudor Tudor home within the confines of a barbed wire fence and all these roads that led around to the old prison yard where the kids would stay. And um, I was like, great, I can use the security gate I've never been to Camp David, but I figured it would work. So, you know, we, we covered up the prison signs and um, had a couple of extras dressed like military guys that checked our car, the picture car in. They closed. Then you see the people driving down the street looking out the window, and you see just the barbed wire fences. And then they pull up to this big brick Tudor house that's, could be, you know, what I would think like a president would stay in if they were on vacation or at Camp David, whatever. And we were able to use about three rooms in the house. Luckily, they had a lot of closets because in the script, there was this massive basement that had all of this communications room and all of this stuff. And, of course, that didn't exist there. But because it was a prison compound, they had a big boiler room with uh, generators and all kinds of stuff. So in the movie, you see these guys walk into a door that's basically they walk into a closet and close the door behind them. And then we cut to the interior of the generator room, which is a completely different location, and they come down the stairs into this area. So you think as the audience that this all exists underneath this house. And, of course, none of it does. So, I mean, the beauty of editing and going through a door or turning a corner can allow you to fool the viewer into thinking, you know, they're wherever you want them to be. That's, that's really, really cool. And it, it, it's true. I mean, when you, you know, the other thing is is we know that people have established uh, characters, houses as characters. For example, the, the Shining, you know, that, that big... Uh, hotel in Colorado is a character in the movie. The uh, sure. Amityville, Amityville Horror House is a character in the movie. You know, I mean, there, uh, the car in, jeez, uh, what it was it, uh, the Christine. Stephen King, huh? In the car in Christine. Christine, yeah, you know, things like that. I mean, anything can be a character. Uh, the the truck in uh, Duel, sure. you know, because you know, or all those little animated animals in. Uh, in ET, so so this is really good information to have because it, you know, it helps us continue to think along those lines that, about the importance 
of what it is that you're filming and what you're putting on film and how it all how how you're working in a collaborative sense with all these different elements or pieces uh like no one piece makes the puzzle but totally assembled the the right pieces in the right order with the right colors you know and all that kind of stuff suddenly you know the the image emerges and i and i like that you 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 know you talk about color palette and and really you know that that's what this film is and so um you're you're i know you're a huge fan of, of having right costumes and right makeup and right lighting and right locations and you know and the right actors and the right extras and, and you know and everything for the uh look of the film to get that up there on the screen and, and i appreciate that so much um and I think it's really important. I think it's. I mean, I think the more advanced filmmakers may already know this. I'm sure, surely, all of us need reminding. But the the newbie filmmakers certainly, this is something for them to consider in terms of creating style and creating. You know, um, uh, I don't want to say art because I hate the the concept of art on screen, um, just because. Just because I won't go into it, but anyway, go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, no, I, I mean a, a classic example of how location was a really important aspect of the movie is if you've ever seen Orson Welles' movie The Trial, based on uh-huh. a pocket novel, because what he did was to show the schizophrenic or the multiple personality side of the government was Anthony Perkins would walk into like an old Russian building that was I don't know what the what the design was but then he would turn the corner and be in a modern building something that would have nothing to do with the exterior then he uh, would go into an office that was a completely different kind of architecture so I mean he used location in that movie to basically fluster the mind so you were like where the heck am I which right. was a microcosm of the world he was creating for the Kafka novel. But um, I'm trying to think of other locations. You know, I did this movie, I've shot a lot of movies on Grand Turk, which is this wonderful little island in the Turks and Caicos. And we had this movie found that had to be shot there that was supposed to have this beautiful home. Well, most of the homes on the island, it's a gorgeous island, but it's a... It's not really a touristy destination. And most of the homes were not suitable for the film. So the cameraman and I, after seeing what we were told, every house on the island said, okay, we're going to walk the perimeter of this island and find the place. And that's what happened. We did. We walked around until we found a house no one had shown us that was perfect. And luckily the people, you know, rented it to us. And uh, I've actually shot two movies there because I go back and I'm like, this house will be ideal for it. Well, as, as some of the listeners know, and as you and I were talking before the show, you know, I'm directing this this film called Serum, and uh, we have had just tons of location issues with losing locations. And now we have a backup location. We begin filming in two days, and we've got a backup location which is always been there in case something else didn't fit this this would suffice you know it's close to what i what i want as the director so um right but you, you always have to have a contingency hopefully yeah it's it's not perfect but it'll do kind of thing right. and 
and uh, because we're sh- we're shooting a hospital, we needed a patient room. Well, we, there, I don't I don't want to talk about the film, but there's there's reasons why we don't want a completely uh, modern operating uh, patient room right now with all of the trappings and trimmings. Some of it would be great, but not all of it is necessary. And uh, and so we're still in the process of looking. We were scouting a location the other day. They waived everything so that we would shoot there. I mean, it was it was a, it was an incredible deal. The, the I, I don't even want to go into it, but it was so appealing and so enticing. But it looks like a hotel resort patient room, and and right. this but is not the, the thing is though. Say you're stuck with that. Well, then what you have to do is rely on set dressing and right. some props to convey it. So you bring in the wacky curtain that goes around the bed and hang it on c-stand and and you use that in your shot so the way it happens is the doctor or the person who's visiting always comes in through that shower or through that curtain and then you have you know the beep beep monitor next to them and so long as you don't show the whole room then you might be able to get away with it because the audience now is sophisticated enough to understand okay they're in a bed, they got a tube in their nose, and there's the heart meter or whatever. So, I mean, you can almost make anything work if you have to. Believe me, I was doing this movie, right. again, on Grand Turk, and we scouted this beautiful lawyer's office. So come the morning, we're all supposed to shoot there. We all show up, and no one's at the office. And the location manager calls them, and they're like, oh, sorry, we're off today. No one is coming in. So now I've got like an 11-page data shoot, and I'm like, well, where the hell are we going to shoot this? So the location manager says, i got a place. Just follow me. I know we can get there. So the whole caravan of movie crew gets in our vehicles, and we all drive, and we get to a radio station. And I'm in my head saying, how the hell am I going to make a radio station a fancy lawyer's office? And the place was so tiny, you could only walk one person down the hall at a time, not two abreast. I'm like, okay, I guess we're not going to have any dollies in this place. (laughs) So, you know, luckily, we found an office. It was like the DJ's office or whatever. Took out, you know, a bunch of their crap. There was a hallway. There was a hallway that led to another door that I think was a closet, which ended up being because we never shot in it, just used the doorway, it ended up being the other lawyer's office. So, you know, you have to think on your feet a lot. Um, On another film, I'd scouted this location. It was like this abandoned warehouse, and it was perfect. I had all these stunts that had to happen in it. Well, we get there to shoot, and there's a giant padlock on the door. So I'm like, the crew's looking around at me. What are we going to do, Rex? And I turn and I see another abandoned building about 100 feet away with the door open. I said, we're shooting it in there. And they're like, you haven't even looked in it. I said, I don't care. We'll make it work. We'll shoot it in there. Because I had a lot of stuff to shoot that day. And it actually ended up working out fine. But, you know, ideally... Like I like I've said prior, you read the script, you envision something in your mind, and then you go out and find those locations. And then what you have to do—I mean, I was, like I said, when I was shooting television shows and even movies, you know, you don't have the luxury sometimes to go in and change the people's decor if it's their home and they're living in it. 
So what you have to be able to do is before, you know, you initially go and you look at the location. You take pictures. I have, I've had worked with directors who bring video cameras and video everything. Because as you're going through the location, you're going through your script to see what scenes you have to shoot in said locations. Then once you lock, lock those in, you go back, and now it's time for you to design how you're going to shoot these elements. So, or shoot the scenes with what's there. So sometimes, I've had to do several times on shows, you know, we can't redress the whole room. We can redress two walls. And I'll say, fine, give me these two walls. The characters will walk in. If you can, give me a little bit of that door so I can show them entering. Then I just need to get, you know, the master shot and then two reverses. So I only had to change two rooms in the house. Or, I'm sorry, two walls in that room. I didn't have to redress everything. If I wanted a piece of foreground furniture, I would just put that, you know, at the end of the dolly shot or the end of the pan. And again, if you see the top of a sofa, then you know that you're in a living room or a den and you don't have to necessarily see the other side, which is where all of your equipment and stuff is. So you have to be smart and basically pre-visualize how you're going to use each location. Um, you know, a, a side note for lighting, I was doing this one movie, Hope Ranch, and it was supposed to be a crackhead apartment. And um, the, electrical, the electrical department told me it was going to take a day to light because I, I said, I'm shooting 360 in here, using a Steadicam, seeing every wall. So all of the lights have to be up in the ceiling with, you know, pipe spreaders or whatever they call those things. So, like, halfway through the day, I go up to check, and they have, like, all the lights on stands. And I'm like, guys, I told you, I'm shooting a steady cam in here. Everything has to be up in the ceiling. So, you know, essentially what was supposed to take four hours took eight hours to light, and I couldn't get into the location until the following day. So I had to supplement my day exterior which allowed me to do a better chase scene because that's what I was shooting prior to going inside. But I mean, the reason I bring that up is because when you're planning all of this stuff, you also have to relate all of that information to the crew people and usually they listen. And that is generally done when you do what's called a tech scout and also at the production meeting. So I'll let you I'll let you take it from there, Rex. <laughs> no, no, that's all great. Let's let's talk more about it. I mean, we've we've done our tech scouts. We're actually doing one today on on the on, uh, three locations that we are looking at for substituting our uh, uh, our our backup. So but, well, uh, I mean, basically, a tech scout, and again, as a director and as a DP, generally, you know, your director and your DP and your production designer will have seen the location before everyone else has. And um, you'll discuss, as you're designing the show, the visual look of the show, where you're going to place the actors, etc., and what, what walls you're going to shoot against or what your backgrounds will be. Then once you go on your tech scout, as a director, you have to have all of this in your head. You can't start fumpering around because... 
you haven't shot a foot of film yet, and if your crew sees that you don't know what the hell you're doing, they're going to say, oh, boy, this is going to be a tough one. So even if you have to lie, you go in and you say, okay, this is where we're shooting scene 25. It's going to be the two actors walking this door, this one over against that wall, this one over there. And generally, you know, ideally you don't lie. You have it all, you know, have it all figured out in your head. Um, one thing that I would always do that would drive my DPs crazy, I would say, okay, this is where we're going to shoot it, and um, I'm going to set up a piece of dolly track here, and then I'd get the scene just like I said I was going to do. I'm set, and then I would say, okay, let's dolly all the way in. I want to get a close-up of the actor. And the DP would be like, well, I haven't lived for a close-up. And I'm like, okay, well... It looked good in the wide shot, so you have about five minutes to bring in a little fill light and maybe turn your your backlight around a little bit to get some more rim on them. But, again, these are the kind of things that, you know, happen almost on the spur of the moment. As a director, you'll be watching a scene and you'll say, Jesus, this would be great if I had this, if I came off the dolly and just shot this or, you know, um, let's suddenly go outside and shoot in through the window or or whatever. So you have to be, A, you want to be prepared, but you also want to be open enough so that you can take advantage of something that occurs while you're filming that you see that you hadn't seen before. I did, Again, I'll go back to this movie, and it involved lighting and this location uh, that I shot in New Zealand called Cave-In. We have this horrible scene where the mother and her father who run the coal mine are at this home where they're trying to dig an escape hatch. And it was a big kitchen with French doors that looked out into the backyard. And um, in the we lit the backyard so you could see the working coal miners who were trying to rescue them walking, pacing back and forth. And then the DP lit it, and I placed the actor so they're looking, and he lit it so I saw their reflection in the glass. And I was like, okay, wait a second. This shot's going to become a much more involved shot, and it's going to become longer. It's really one of the most beautiful shots I've ever been a part of, and it really wasn't my idea. It was mine and this DP's. So you're looking outside, and all you see are these coal miners covered in dirt, tired, sweaty, and the camera then rack focuses, and now you see the reflection of the mom and her father looking out the window. So now our focus is on them. So now the guys in the background are out of focus, but you still see them moving. And we hear them talking. And now the camera creeps back a little further. So now we change our focus so that we're actually on the real actors, not their reflection. And then... The, the father turns and it becomes a dirty over, like over the shoulder of the mom, onto him, and we get all of his dialogue. It was like a four-page scene. And then we just had to turn around and get a close-up of the mom. And it was really a beautiful shot that told so much in one shot. And meanwhile, when I had planned this, I hadn't planned it to shoot that way at all. It was going to be multiple shots. But the location and the way it was initially lit dictated how I changed it to just two shots instead of four or five. That's really cool. And what is that in? So if viewers can go watch it sometime. That's in a movie called Cave-In. 
with Mimi Rogers and Ted Shackelford. It's actually a good movie. It was on uh, PAX, and then it was on ION. I did that back in, I think, 2004. Uh-huh. And, and then, um, I mean, this is the thing. The, the beauty of shooting on location, things that just happen. We were doing mm-hmm. this movie, Found, that I said earlier, down in the Caribbean. And the scene took place, the girlfriend runs, gets in her car, and the boyfriend comes out to try to stop her. You know, a dramatic scene, but who cares? They're sitting in a car. So the DP has uh, the guys the guys move the lights to the end of this pier because that's where we're going to shoot it. Mm-hmm. So it's backlit. But what we didn't realize was the light was on this funky old beautiful building where waves were just crashing up on it. And the guy who said, actually the transpo guy said, hey, look at how cool that looks. And the DP and I turned and we're like, hell, we'll shoot the look. We'll shoot there, not in the car. Get rid of the car. We just have the girl run around the corner. The guy grabs her and now they talk as they're, they stand as they talk because it gives the actors more flexibility. It looks incredibly dramatic. It actually became the poster shot for the movie because these waves crashing up and backlit. And, you know, we tried to time it because of the tide. We would, like, do certain lines of dialogue so that the wave crash would be an accent to it. And none of this was ever planned. It just, by luck, happened. That's really cool. Yeah, that's the exciting thing. I mean, and that's why, you know, as a director, you have to go in with a game plan, but you always have to be looking for a better way to do it within wherever you're working and a cooler way to shoot it. That's very, very cool. Now, um, I need to take a short break. I've already mentioned when when, uh, we had some phone difficulty, I I mentioned the uh, some of the upcoming guests. So suffice to say that I've got lots of upcoming guests that people should stay tuned and and uh, continue sharing uh, uh, information to their friends and family about those guests coming up. But I just need to say that you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official URL is rexsikes dot com. All of these interviews are stored at the interviews page there. You can listen to them live or archive. They're also available from the iTunes store as podcasts. There's over 300 hours of of incredible professional uh, filmmakers such as Rex who are sharing their expertise and know-how with you absolutely free. All we ask of you in return is to leave comments before you go away. If you're listening live or archive, just leave a comment there in the comment window and or uh, rate and review the podcast, and also live tweet the show. When when we're talking like now, you can be on Twitter if you're in the chat room, if you're listening, you can be on Twitter and tweeting comments that the, my guests make. You could be on Facebook and sharing it to your wall and to your friends uh, or your favorite favorite social media means, and we ask that you do that. Also, rexpiano.com is R-E-X-P-I-A-N-O.com is Rex's website. Be sure to visit that and then check out Rex Piano. Dot com and also Rex is on Facebook and uh, and uh, you can uh, uh, friend him there I guess and and stuff like that so be sure to be sure to check into uh, what Rex's pages all right and we are talking with Rex Piano right now thank you all right we're back to you Rex all right Rex actually I I also have another uh, 
Facebook page I'd like people to check out and like sure. if they will. It's called AFN Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, Inc. And basically, it's a new company that we're starting, and um, we have an e-book. You can buy books on it that are written by Anthony Clark, AFN Clark, terrific books that are already uh, for sale on that. But also, you can go to our My Movie page, which we will be starting very soon, that we'll have a lot of uh, downloadable original content. And hopefully now, we'll have your handsome face on it one of these days. <laughs> cool. What? Uh, yes, absolutely. What? Uh, what? Uh, what? Give the uh, web address one more time. Yeah, it's AFN Clark C L A R K E. No, but what is the first? What is the first? What, I, I can't even catch the first word. Okay. A, first letter. It's, it's three initials. A F N. So Apple hey, Frank uh, Nancy. There you go. Apple Frank Nancy. Clark C L A R K E dot com Inc dot com. So I N C dot com. All right, awesome. And it'll so, show, you know, the projects that we're planning to do, the movies that we're planning to do, which are some terrific scripts that Tony has written. Tony's written scripts forever. And um, we're real excited about it because it's a, it's going to be a new way of getting original programming out. Um, you know, I've contacted friends of mine who have excellent films that never got distribution. And they will be available on there to download for an extremely cheap price to own, not just rent. So it's going to be a cool site. Now, I just want to make sure that we've got it correct. It's Apple Frank Nancy C L A R K E I N C. Yep, I N C dot com. I'm I'm not able to get it up at the moment. <laughs> That's oh. a terrible thing to say. I'm not able to get the website. I don't know if you want to broadcast. You can't get it up. Not, uh, yeah, no, I'm not able to to get the website to come up. It tells me that uh, my server can't find it or the, my browser huh. can't find it. Then maybe um, just try afnclark.com. Yeah. Okay. I know that I've been there before. That's why. Yeah. I, that's why. Well, I'm not near a computer. Otherwise, I'd find there it. You so, there you go. There you go. Af so it's afnclark.com. Afn the, the website is Right. I guess on the on Facebook it's afnclarkinc. or whatever it is. Yes. But no, check it out. It's a cool. It's a cool website and. Like I said, we're going to have some exciting shows on there. Awesome. Very, very cool. All right. And so we're talking with Rex Piano. We've got uh, the Facebook pages and his, and his personal URL, his professional URL. And um, and so we're talking about location and, and defining character through location and through lighting. Right. Well, lighting, again, as we lightly touched on it earlier, Lighting is key depending on the genre of a movie you're shooting or a show that you're doing. When I was doing Mike Hammer with Stacey Keach, it was film noir. So, you know, the lighting in that had to be long shadows, high contrast, moody, mysterious. And, um, you know, we tried to find locations that, would evoke that kind of a sensibility or a location that you could light so that it would be moody and creepy. 
I mean, if you watch any of Hitchcock, Hitchcock's use of lighting is brilliant. Um, and I've brought this movie up before, North by Northwest. I just watched right. it over Memorial Day weekend. But there's this wonderful scene when uh, James Mason first meets Cary Grant at the house. And he shuts all the... He comes in, draws the curtains, so now it's dark and mysterious, and he just turns on a little side light so that he's he's almost, not backlit, but remember when you were a kid and you'd scare somebody, you'd put a flashlight under your face. Uh-huh. That kind of a thing. Because everyone is afraid of the dark. Dark is mystery. That's why very few romantic comedies are really dark <laughs> pictures. You know, most of them, lighting, like every aspect, should not call attention to itself. If it does, then it has to be done for a dramatic reason. Um, romantic comedy pictures are bright, and you don't even get a sense like there's a light anywhere. They just look pretty, and the people look natural in them. Yet in a horror movie, you know, you're always waiting there, and you're saying, turn on the damn light switch already, you know? I've always wanted to do a movie where they turn on the light switch, and it does work, and it lights up the room. And I don't know what they'd see. Maybe, you know, a hundred zombies right in front of them or something. But, um, so lighting... Again, when you use when you combine lighting and the lens choice, it it can soften the actor, harden the actor. When you're shooting with um, actresses that are a little older, you put a, a soft light on the front of the camera. Generally, we used to call it an obi light, and that was a term from I think Merle Oberon because she was the first actress to demand it, and it was a very soft, diffused light that was right literally on top of the camera. And what it would do is, because it was soft and diffused, it would essentially hide the wrinkles in her face. And then if you put a little soft effects or something in front of the lens so it's not as harsh, and this is actually really needed necessary now with HD cameras because it sees everything. Um, so, you know, you, you soften that. And again, if you want to make a character angelic, you know, you put a little backlight behind them or you want to separate them from the background, you put a little higher light to give them a, an edge lighting or a rim lighting. So you have to use, and again, your DP and your gaffer as well as your production designer, will have all of these elements available to them. I mean, I know that whenever I shoot with DPs, they love to have a practical lamp in the room so that it can be the motivating light source or a window so some light can come in through the window. And then you put a little atmosphere in, a little smoke, and then you have the beautiful rays of sun coming through. I remember when we were doing this TV series, High Tide, which takes place out on the beach when it's gorgeous. Well, for the first month when we were shooting it, they had what's called June gloom. So the sun didn't burn off the marine layer till about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And meanwhile, half the day is gone. So what we would have to do is bring in a couple big 18K HMIs 
and make the shots smaller in the morning, but we'd blast the light on them so everyone thought it was bright and sunny out. Meanwhile, you know, if you looked out across the beach a little further away, you'd see it was totally fogged in. You there, right? Hello? Yeah, I know. I just I, I had to cough for a second, so I moved. I moved away from the speaker. Oh, no worries. So, you know, and then I've done like I, when I was doing this show, High Tide again. We played with uh-huh. lighting, and we had some fun with it. We had um, this one ghost story, and you know, the the second lead, this guy Yannick Bisson, walks down these creepy stairs. And as he hears something at the end, we had a little light on a dimmer that just kind of raised it up and just lit up his eyes. Just, you know, we flagged it off so just his eyes were seen. So we used the lighting as as a dramatic element, the physical turning on of a light. And then, um, I mean, believe me, lighting is so key. I was doing this disaster movie and these people are running through the hallways and the building's supposed to be getting hit by uh, meteors and stuff's falling out of the ceiling, stuff's breaking. And I said, look, I need the lights to flicker on and off. So the DP's like, okay, well, do we have shutters and all of this? I'm like, of course we don't have any of that stuff. That's expensive to rent. And he says to the gaffer, find all the light switches. So the electric department goes around and finds the light switches to this long hallway and basically just started flicking them on and off. So off camera, you didn't see these guys, but they're just turning the lights on and off. And then with a little sound effects, it worked great. And, and you know, tricky editing. So there are all different kinds of ways to skin the cat, and, you know, they call it smoke and mirrors, and that's what it is. Yeah, it's very cool, and I, and I like that. I mean, you're giving good tips and tricks and everything. When it comes to defining a character, you know, you've got a hero, you've got the anti-hero, you've got the villain, you've got, you know, the protagonist, the antagonist. You've got different people. In terms of lighting, let's see if a cast of a dozen, you know, are are you, when you want to define the character, are you are you pouring or lessening light on particular characters or lighting them in a particular way through uh, a number of the scenes in order to define that character, their personality, who they are, what they what they what they are cinematically? You know, again, it's it's not it's a it's a gray area. It's not um, as cut and dry that you can say. I'm going to let this person specifically this way all the time. You have to um, you have to adapt to the scene. I mean, when you find them in their ideal location, for instance, when I did this movie, The Month of August, mm-hmm. and it was a romantic comedy, and the girl in it had her two favorite colors. I think it was turquoise and magenta. And her clothes had those kind of crazy colors. Her apartment had those kind of crazy colors. And she she liked, she gave her boyfriend, you know, those little bubble things that you dip in the jar and blow and the bubbles come out? Mm-hmm. She gave him those as a gift. So what my DP had done, which was really so subtle but so beautiful, when we were shooting the boyfriend, and they had broken up, and all he had left of her now were his his little bubble thing. And it was a dark, moody, lit room. He was by himself. 
and he's sat on the sofa, and he's just blowing these bubbles. Well, what the DP did was he lit the bubbles with magenta and turquoise so that as the bubbles came up through the little shafts of light, they were they were her colors. And, then, and again, because it's a bubble, you just get a little hint of it. But, I mean, it was really a beautiful thing and was something that I never thought of doing. You know, luckily my DP on the movie was brilliant and came up with all these wacky ideas. But, again, this is a guy, you know, his name is Dan Yarusi, fantastic cameraman. We would light stuff, and I did a lot of TV shows with him. We would light stuff, and if we were running out of time, because on these TV shows you had to shoot them in five days and you're doing ten pages a day, <coughs> pardon me, and we didn't have time to light, he'd say, okay, get me a Smith Victor, which is just a little, I didn't know what it was, it's just one of those little lights that you get at like a Home Depot with a clip on it that has like an aluminum housing and you put just like a 100-watt light bulb in it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And he was a big guy. So he would literally hold that under his arm in his left arm and hold the camera with his right arm and he would basically walk or we'd have the gaffer do it depending on the complexity of the shot and just light the thing with this um, like 100-watt light bulb that was a soft, you know, like a GE soft glow light bulb. Uh And then because of the technology now, you can adjust the color in post. But uh, this guy could light... We did the whole title sequence of my movie with a Smith Victor and a piece of black velvet and some bubbles because it was all, you know, uh, graphics over just bubbles going through the air in slow motion. And again, he had lit that with the turquoise and the magenta. That's, so that's very good. Yeah, your huh? lighting is, you know, it's... There are certain characters, um, you know, that... Again, like I said, if you're dealing with an elderly actor or someone who has a lot of wrinkles on their face or a bad complexion and you want to soften it and you soft-light them in the front... Um, if you want somebody to look, you know, evil with the long shadows, then you give it a hard light. I mean, if if one of the most beautiful films ever shot using high contrast lighting was The Third Man yes. with Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton. I think Carol Reed might have directed it. I could be wrong there. But, I mean, it, it defined what a film noir film looked like. And if you look at, if, if, you know, look at The Exorcist, the poster for that. You know, if you, I read about that, that shot with, um, uh, what's his name? Klaus von Bülow, no, uh, Max von Sydow, outside the, Cito, the house, yeah. waiting to get inside. Well, to get that shaft of light out, they had to use a, um, a theatrical spotlight in the room and shine it out because they needed such a high beam. So, I mean, you know, lighting can... And if you see any horror movie all the time, you'll see, you know, just somebody in the back and they're, suddenly they'll step into the light just so you see their eyes. So, I mean, lighting is can be extremely dramatic. Watch Alien or, you know, watch any good horror picture, you're going to see that. And then you juxtapose 
because there are no real set rules, you juxtapose that with, like, the original Night of the Living Dead, where everything is just stark, and you're in a house with bare bulbs. So, you know, it depends on the context and the story you're telling, but um, through lighting, you create all kinds of emotions. Yeah, those are excellent, excellent points. They truly are because, um, you know, for this again for the seasoned filmmaker, they'll, they'll hear in your stories things that hey, they go, oh, that's cool, that's innovative. I, you know, I can use that in the future. And for the the newbie filmmaker, uh, likewise. You know, I mean, in other in other words, uh, I get you know lots of screeners and I see lots of movies and there are a lot of lots of festivals and the number of times that that people. Uh, especially in the digital age, where people can pick up a camera, they don't always they don't always think. I guess in terms of of art artistry, uh, I, 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 I'm very careful not to use the word art, but artistry when it comes to to cinema and and painting pictures with light and 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 making you know a statement with the light as opposed to just you know lighting and then uh, I always talk about you know they put actors in front of cameras and then they act, have them act without a whole lot right. of thought about what the canvas is you know right. and, well I and, mean listen and that's the thing if you want to see I mean every DP that's worth his his paycheck knows the classic paintings knows the lighting I mean a huge perfect example is The Godfather with the chiaroscuro lighting in the opening sequence where they're Mm -hmm. disappearing into the background. I mean, if you look at the masters, Renoir, I think chiaroscuro is the name of a painter. Um, All of those used lighting to tell a story. If you look at all the old uh, religious iconography and the painting, there's always someone's someplace kind of dark, you see what's going on, and then there's this shaft of God's light shooting through, lighting up whatever it is. And, again, this was... Lighting has always been used either in painting, well, initially in painting, to tell a story. You know, if you look at even comic book art, where they'll just have... uh, like half of the guy's face is all is solid black. Well, that's dramatic lighting right there. You know, and um, Uh most TV shows, I remember when I was doing this TV show, we shot one episode and I hated the lighting in it. And I went to the producers and said, look, it's just too bland. Can I, I want to raise it up and make it a little, little more dynamic. And they said, sure, go ahead. And luckily, you know, the DP was all over that. And we changed, not the look of the show, we just made it more cinematic versus run-of-the-mill episodic TV. And really the first TV show that really exploited that was, of recent time, was The X-Files. Because when you watched that, it was like you were watching a movie every week. And a lot of that was due to the lighting in it. Yeah, but the the thing that I always think is, is fascinating is especially with television directors, is that television directors rotate where, you know, usually the DP and the gaffer and the first ADs, and, you know, I mean, people, you know, are part of the production while the directors come and go. So the look of the show is already established in in, in most cases, you know, for the, for, the, for the director for hire, 
you know, I mean, as opposed to the 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 conceiving director or the you know the the consulting director. But the, but right. so whether it's CSI or it's X Files or CSI Miami, for example, or X Files, the, there are color schemes. There's there's contrast and saturation and the way things are lit, as you point out, the X Files versus uh, I'll say CSI Miami versus uh, CSI Las Vegas uh, versus uh, the look of uh, Law and Order series versus, uh, you know, um, something else. I mean, they, they, there's a, a lighting scheme. There's a color scheme. There's a, a production design scheme. There's, the, there's the, the way they color correct their shows. And, I mean, all this stuff goes together to create a, a look. It, it actually creates a brand. Sure, you know, sure, sure. I mean, look, term- look, how, look how the show 24 changed how stuff was shot. They brought right. in that shaky cam, and I mean, Law and Order created the whole docudrama kind of feel, like you were right there. Um, yeah, and again, as a rotating director, you know, luckily I was, I was rotating director on several series, but I also was the first director on a couple series to dictate how the look of the show should be. Yeah. And then some of these other directors, you know, had to follow my lead, much to their chagrin sometimes. But uh, it, it was a wonderful opportunity to have because, like, for instance, with the Mike Hammer show, you know, there were always these flashbacks. And we tried different different looks, and everyone liked the look the most of just... And it was the simplest, and it conveyed the story instantly, it was just going to black and white, and we would use different ways to go into our flashbacks, but they were always triggered off of Stacy Keach's face or something he was holding that evoked this memory. And then, you know, we again, like I said, because it was my camera, we lit it extremely dramatically. Well, that's very cool, I, it, and it goes again. It's the forethought that goes into things, that in the planning that goes into it, that you come up with, and you say, okay, you know, um, all the flashbacks are are predicated based on you know what we what we see here. Right, and the, yeah. and the cool thing, the cool thing about what we did do, as, as I interrupt you, with the <laughs> my camera stuff, was we would shoot specific shots. That that would that would were almost like his mind recollecting them. They weren't necessarily in the show. For instance, there was a scene in one episode I did where he recognizes the ring on this woman's hand. Now, meanwhile, in the scene that he's talking to her, we don't focus on the ring. She puts her hand up in the door jam while she's talking to him, so you just see it there. But for his flashback, we did a dolly in and right up into the ring so that we weren't basically pulling shots from the scene and just making them black and white. We had designed, or I had designed, those shots to shoot separately so that they would be his memory. Does does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean... I did that with every flashback that I did in the show. You know, you'd see something from a different perspective. You'd see the crime from 
almost an omnipresent point of view, which was his memory. But when we when you saw the murder in the movie, that's not how you saw it. So they became almost, you know, not characters, but each shot had to had to trigger a memory that would then make him solve the crime. That's very cool. That is very cool. Hey, Rex, you know what? Uh, we are out of time. <laughs> Rex, this show goes by too quickly. I think you're going to have to do a miniseries with me. <laughs> well, we will be back and talking with Rex Moore in the future. We'll let you know when he's coming back. Uh, you've got so much to offer and so much great stuff that uh, I, I sit fascinated, and, and as I know my listeners do, but uh, we, we literally, the show went by very quickly today, so I, I didn't even have a chance to say, okay, we're, we're coming up on, you know, five minutes left or anything like that. But um, I want to thank you for being here again and for sharing all this valuable information and insights, and I always encourage people to, one, leave comments before you go away. And, uh, and rate and review the podcast. Be sure to do that and stay tuned for upcoming guests. But go back and listen. Rex has three other uh, conversations that we've had discussing uh, getting your, uh, your, your vision of the film or television show up on the screen and how, how you can do that. And, and so go back and listen to those at your leisure. They're all at rexsykes.com at the interviews blog. And be sure to, to visit Rex's website. It's rexpiano.com, R-E-X-P-I-A-N-O.com. And A as in Apple, F as in Frank, N as in Nancy, Clark, C L A R K E dot com, A F N Clark dot com, uh, and visit also on Facebook there. And uh, Rex Pianos on Facebook as well. Rex, you have been uh, again a fabulous guest. I thank you so much. We'll let the listeners Thanks. know when you're going to be coming back. Thank you very much. I I love telling stories. And I oh, hope man, you and, you, and you're great at it. And educated. So, and again, Rex, I thank you for the service you're doing, buddy. Well, thank you, sir. Have a great rest of the day. We'll be uh, talking soon. And uh, and uh, uh, I've enjoyed it so much. I, I really do. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Terrific. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, Mr. Rex Piano, again, fascinating guest. Check out all the websites and do share these uh, discussions and all of my guests with uh, people near and far in all your industry contacts. There's over 300 hours, a lot more than 300 hours, but over 300 and some separate uh, shows uh, that you can download from the iTunes store and, and take with you wherever you go, uh, directors, producers, writers, cinematographers, sound designers, actors, uh, editors, you know, and the like, and a lot more to come. Uh, it's been called, a, you know, a master class in a box, a PhD program, and a, you know, in a, in a kind of a, a PhD class uh, program. Get your doctorate in filmmaking through, you know, Rex X movie. I mean, those kinds of things. All very nice, nicely said. But the key is is to go and listen and learn and to benefit uh, because they're giving it away so that you can make your project smoother, uh, faster, less expensively, and so that you can advance your careers. Uh, having said all that, I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate your support and your comments and your thoughts and, and all that you do to help spread the word of Movie Beat. Those of you who come into the chat room regularly uh, and those who are visiting for the first time, thank you so much. I've uh, got lots of exciting guests coming up. You can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook Friends page. by You don't really become a member, but you become a friend by hitting the Like button right there at Facebook. 
And you can follow me on Twitter at Rex Sykes Movie BT. That's Rex Sykes Movie BT. You also have a YouTube channel, Rex Sykes Movie BT. And the movie that we're beginning uh, principal photography on in just a couple of days is called Serum, S-E-R-U-M. We have a Facebook page. It's Serum the Movie or Serum the Short Film, Short Film on Facebook. Go to our Facebook page, too, and hit the like button. We really would appreciate it. And you can follow us on our journey uh, from you know, pre-pro into you know, getting an audience and beyond. And uh, it's destined to become a web series. At least that was the original plan. It was to come out with the pilot uh, short film for the web series and then uh, and then uh, continue the series. So uh, do that. You can follow us on Twitter at that's at uh, serumthemovie.com, S-E-R-U-M, S as in Sam, E-R-U-M, themovie.com. And please do. We'd love to have you. Appreciate everything. Uh, and everyone, thank you. Have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>